Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself, knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we do thank you for your holy word. We thank you that we trust it. We thank you that the elders of this church uphold it. We thank you that the body of believers that you brought to PCPC expect us to preach from it. And Lord, it is alive and it's active. Holy Spirit, even now you can do a work to transform a life. Men and women and children, like me here today, so easily overwhelmed by the brokenness and the needs of the world, can find true hope as we see that you indeed are the Lord, the one who reigns, the one who was present there at this place on earth that you had made, where you distributed these elements in the most profound way, satisfying those, all who were there. Lord, it was beyond what anybody could have asked or imagined. Would you feed us this morning in the same way? Open us again to see anew who you are. You, the one who is the bread of life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, to all of those who stood, I, I say thank you as a dad. From those who have poured into my oldest child, who was six when we got here, to those who are now pouring into my youngest child, who's five, and all those in between, Thank you. Thank you that you point them to Jesus. Thank you that they see Jesus in your life. Thank you that you're teaching them the same stories that we 
have been teaching them. Thank you that you're there to answer their questions when they get a little bit older and wonder, is this really all true? I mean, did he really do this? Thank you so much. And may the Lord continue to bless this church with so many young families who are coming and with the diversity of ages in this body, which is such a blessing to us. It really is. Not every church has that beautiful picture of those who are celebrating an 80th birthday and those who are celebrating the birth of their first. It's an amazing place to be. When we come to the Word of God, we come to this very familiar story. We're going to spend two weeks on this miracle. It's a profound miracle. All the miracles are profound. But this is an interesting miracle because it's the only miracle of all the miracles Jesus did. And you remember what John said at the end of his gospel. The whole world couldn't hold the books if everything was recorded. This is the only miracle Jesus did that is recorded in each of the four gospels. The only one. It's in the synoptics and it's in this gospel. And there are profound truths in each of the gospels about this one miracle. This one miracle is recorded in all four gospels. It's a significant miracle. Let's talk about it. First, I want you to know that Jesus is coming. He looks up and he sees the crowds of people. And who knows how many, but it was 5,000 men. So it certainly goes into the teens, if not the upper teens, maybe beyond, of people who are there. And then Jesus asked Philip a question. The question is in verse 5. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said, to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Then in verse 6, Jesus tells us essentially why he's asking. He said this to test him. Well, the first thing I want to mention today is that Jesus tests his disciples. Our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they test our faith. Four quick reasons why. One, The Lord requires faith. This religion, Christianity, which is certainly more than the world's religions, it is something that requires faith. We have to have faith to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. We have to have faith to believe that he did conquer death, that we truly have been stripped from the grip of sin. We have to believe that the tomb really was empty. We have to believe that he who's reigning as our king really does live to intercede for us. We have to believe that he's coming again. And so, Jesus, our Father, the Holy Spirit, this triune God, the Lord requires faith. And if you are a Christian, there is a moment in your life or a season in your life where you begin to understand that faith. Some of you have an exact date. Some of you have a season. Some of you are grateful that you've never known a day you didn't have faith. Praise the Lord. It's the Lord's story. Secondly, the Lord not only requires faith, but the Lord is glorified by our faith. When the Lord Jesus himself was walking and he saw the faith of the centurion, he spoke essentially of the glory that it brought to him and to the Father. So when we really have faith that's deep in us, It honors the Lord. It brings him glory. When we trust in the Lord and have peace in the Lord in the midst of circumstances that the world would say, you shouldn't have peace. You should be in panic. You should be in despair. It brings the Lord glory. Third, the Lord requires faith. The Lord's glorified by faith. But the Lord is the founder and the perfecter 
of our faith. Hebrews 12.2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what that means is if you are a person who today says, yes, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, the one who gave you that faith, the one who was the author of that faith, the founder of that faith is Jesus Christ. He placed that in you at some point in your life where you begin to think a certain way, feel a certain way, and then the irresistible grace of God overwhelmed you. And you said, I want him. I need him. So the Lord is the founder of our faith. But he's also the perfecter. And so the Lord tests us in order to perfect our faith. And as we're being tested, James teaches us to consider it pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. So as we go through tests, the Lord is perfecting our faith. In Philippians, Paul teaches us just as much. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Jesus, the perfecter, the founder, the author of our faith, he is perfecting it. Fourthly, the reason the Lord tests us is the Lord tests our faith to reveal his faithfulness time and time and time again. Listen to that. The Lord tests our faith to reveal to us time and time again his faithfulness. Why? Because we fail. Why? Because we forget. Why? Because we lack faith in one way or another every day of our lives. We do. And here before us, we have an example that's meant to encourage. We have a test given to a man, a test given to Philip, a test that Philip fails miserably. But let's have compassion on him, for we are like him. Jesus tells us in verse 5, the word, John recording it, he says to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus says he said this to test him. So Philip answers, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Now, it's interesting that he says a little, because at the end of the miracle, they will not get a little. They will get so much that they want no more. And there will be 12 basketfuls left over. Philip, he says, there's not enough money worth of bread that we could feed just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, so he's showing a little faith. But then he says, but what are these to so many? Why Philip? I don't know. We speculate why Jesus picked Philip out of the 12 to ask him this question. One, Philip was near the area. So it's possible that because he was familiar with the area, Jesus was simply asking him what he thought could be done. It's also possible that Philip was good with numbers. He certainly goes to his numbers very quickly. He adds it up. There's no way. Look at the crowd. What kind of money would we have? Where could we even find vendors that could provide the bread? There's no way. I don't know. I do know this, though, that Jesus often tests one to teach many. And here, John records this story as it happened. And Jesus said to Philip, 
Where will we buy bread so that these people may eat? Why did Philip fail the test? And he did. You see that? Philip failed the test because he was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed by the crowds. Like Jesus, we're told Jesus looked up, he saw the crowds. Philip also looked up, he saw the crowds. Imagine the crowds. I mean, it would be perhaps five times as many people who are here right now walking. They've been following Jesus. Now, mothers, imagine you have your children with you. They're probably not as enamored with all that's going on. They're going to want to eat, and they're going to let that need be known. Imagine the sounds that's taking place in this crowd following Jesus. My friends, this miracle really happened. And so the real life was happening. Where are we going to buy food? Where are we going to stay? All those normal, ordinary questions that human beings ask were present. So Philip looks up and he sees the crowd. He's familiar with the area. Perhaps that's why he lacks faith. But deep down, he just doesn't see a way that this crowd could be fed, that they could be cared for with food. He is overwhelmed by the crowds. And he's not overwhelmed by Christ. I want you to think for a moment about the word overwhelmed. Here's how I want you to think about it. In the last week, how often did you feel overwhelmed by something? Today, perhaps even. Begin to make a note Each time you hear yourself say out loud, I'm overwhelmed. Maybe each time you think it. Each time you hear other people, your spouse, your older children, your aging parents. How many times do we as Christians say we feel overwhelmed? How many times as Christians do we confess that we really think we are overwhelmed? Now listen to the definition of overwhelmed. It's a word that you use and you are very familiar with and you could explain it to others, but listen to the actual definition of overwhelmed. The first definition, number one, to overpower, especially with superior forces, to destroy and crush. Number two, to overcome completely in mind or feeling. Number three, to cover or bury beneath a mass of something. Those three definitions taken straight out of the dictionary. Have you felt that way? Overwhelmed by whatever you're facing? Philip felt overwhelmed. Overwhelmed by the size of the crowd overwhelmed by the lack of resources, overwhelmed by the lack of knowledge. But the real problem is that Philip was not overwhelmed by Jesus Christ, who was there, God incarnate, present in the flesh. If Philip truly understood who he was with, his response would have been different if he truly was overwhelmed by the power of Christ, the one who had already been teaching him, 
the one whom Philip had already seen miracles take place, his response would have been different. Spurgeon, in the way he can do it, tells us how Philip should have responded. Here's what he says. If Philip had strong faith, he would answer, Great master, there is no need to buy any bread. You are greater than Moses. And under Moses, the people were fed with manna in the wilderness. You only have to speak the word and bread shall be rained down. If Philip had possessed great faith, he might have replied, You, master, are greater than Elisha. And he took a few loaves and ears of corn and fed the sons of the prophets. Oh, wonder-working Lord, you can do the same here. But if Philip had displayed still greater faith, he might have said, Lord, I do not know where bread is to be bought, but it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. You can refresh these people without visible bread. You can satisfy their hunger and fill them to the fullest, and yet they need not a single mouthful. For it is written, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, man shall live. But that's not how Philip responded. Because Philip wasn't overwhelmed by Jesus Christ. Looking at the crowd and seeing the weight, looking at the pressure of that crowd, I'm sure growing a bit restless, and hearing the question from Jesus, he focused inward. What could he do? He focused outward. What could they do? But he didn't find himself overwhelmed by Jesus. The Lord tests his disciples. And when he tests his disciples like Philip, and when he, when he tests his disciples like Mark and Linda and Jane and Kyle, he takes us to the point where our limits are exposed. We have limited knowledge. Have you ever found yourself at work And you're the expert. Whether it's in business or you're a physician or there's some complicated matter and they're looking to you for the answer and you, you really see that your knowledge is limited. You do not know what decision you should make. And in that limited moment of knowledge, you feel overwhelmed. Have you ever experienced limited wisdom when a friend comes to you seeking counsel because her marriage is falling apart and she doesn't know what to do and you look at her and you just don't really know what to say and even if you know what to say and you say it, you wonder if it really will help. You feel the limits of your own wisdom. How about the limited experience you have Limited experience, a young mother today with her newborn, as her newborn turns to a toddler and discipline begins to become a reality. What do I do if I do this? Might this cause that? If I don't do this, might this cause that? Limited experience causes you to see 
how truly powerless you are. Maybe it's not that you're a new mom or a new dad, but you're sending your first to college. That's a new, a new world. What's that going to feel like? Or maybe you've transitioned as a parent. And in the transition, now you are caring not only for your children who are now adults, but you're caring for your aging parents. And there you find not only limited knowledge and wisdom, but also limited strength. How can I truly give myself in every way they need it? We find ourselves limited by time. I mean, look at the people in carpools, multitasking. It's actually dangerous. So much to do. So little time. How many times a day do you simply feel and then say, I'm overwhelmed by my schedule. I'm overwhelmed by appointments. I'm overwhelmed by paperwork. I'm overwhelmed by all that is being demanded of me. And how many times do you find yourself overwhelmed by just limited ability? You know you're not good at everything. And occasionally people ask you to do something that you're not very good at. And you don't want that inability to be exposed, but you come to your limits. Maybe you feel right now, in a very strong way, the limited reality of your financial resources. Tax day is coming. For some of you, it's no big deal. For others, it's terrifying. Some of you haven't had work in a long time, or you're underemployed. Others of you thought your income would last longer than it's lasting. You just aren't sure. And there you find yourself with limited knowledge, limited experience, and then the reality of limited resources. In a culture that is declining all around the world, but also right here, you find yourself feeling limited influence. Can you as a person really create much change? And you're overwhelmed by where it looks like our country's heading. You're overwhelmed by how powerless you feel to really do much. And in the end, what all these things mean is that we come to a place of our faith being tested. And in each of those categories and many more, we ask the question, is God enough? Or is he not enough? That's the test. Is he enough? Or is he not enough? Philip answered the test. Word for word, I read it. 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough. Frederick Bruner, who has written a wonderful commentary on John, which I've referenced many times in this series, he asked this question, and it's very, very important. Listen as I read it. Are the sizes of human problems weightier on the scale of reality than the presence of the living Lord himself? Let me read that again. Are the sizes of human problems weightier on the scale 
of reality than the presence of the living Lord himself. In other words, is the size of the problem that you right now are facing, is that problem in your heart and mind heavier, more present than the Lord himself? Is he more than enough? Or not enough? That's the test. And this miracle that is in all four Gospels that we've heard about since we were little is a miracle that reveals to us first that the Lord does test us. But secondly, that while we are tested, The Lord reveals to us time and time and time again that he is more than enough. Every time. Every time. But the problem is, my friends, like Philip, we are not overwhelmed with Christ. In other words, we are not overwhelmed with his power, his superior force. We are not overcome by his omnipotence, all-powerful, and his omniscience, all-knowing, completely in our mind and hearts. We are not buried Beneath the weight of his glory. The weight of who he is. And so what happens is that we get overwhelmed by all that we see. And it might not be the mass of the crowd, but it might just be the family in your home. So how can we grow in our trust? I really want you to listen because this is very practical and very important. First, and this is critical, you and I need to admit our lack of faith. We need to admit, oh Lord, I don't believe when I'm an anxious person that you are more than enough. Lord, I I don't have the faith that I should have because of what your Holy Spirit has revealed to me through your Holy Word. I confess that I lack faith. You could even say it this way. Yes, I believe I'm a Christian, but Lord, help my unbelief. But my friends, you need to see that a lack of faith is indeed a very serious sin. You are doubting the one who is the Lord of Lords, the, the King of Kings. So first, start with, Lord, I like faith. Secondly, you need to turn. There's a very religious word called repent. But it's a beautiful word. It simply means to turn. You need to turn from looking at the crowd. You need to turn from being overwhelmed by the circumstances. You need to 
to turn from looking at your smartphone, which reveals the mess of this world that will overwhelm you instantly. You need to turn to Jesus. Not simply to a better paradigm. Not simply to a a smarter task list. You need to turn from that lack of faith towards faith. Confident that the one who has founded your faith, who's the author of your faith, is using this test to perfect your faith. So confess your lack of faith. Turn towards him. Third, thank him for the test. I know that sounds crazy, but it's not the craziest thing the Bible says. Thank him. Because as he is revealing our lack of faith in the midst of the temptation and the test, in the midst of the test, he is revealing his faithfulness. Thank him. Thank him. Thank him. Lastly, you must and I must learn to meditate. Meditation is a very biblical concept. Meditation simply means to play over and over and over again in your mind the Word of God, who He is, what He says about Himself, what He has promised. To give you a great place to start, simply take our profession of faith today from Romans. And over and over again, as you face things that overwhelm you, let the Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to overwhelm you with that question and answer. If God is for us, who can be against us? Take this bulletin and let that passage be something you meditate on. Here's what will happen. I promise you this will happen. Because if you're a believer, the Lord is perfecting you. What has been overwhelming you, though the circumstances might not change actually, the presence of God with his holy word will begin to transform you and you will be overwhelmed by Christ. Meditate, my friends. You're actually already doing it if you're worrying. Because worry is nothing more than meditation. But turn from that meditation to the meditation upon the Word of God and Christ Himself. Lastly, when you're in the midst of the test, it feels like a cross. And Jesus Himself told us that whoever comes after him, must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow him. It requires faith. The one who gives us that faith is testing that faith. So when you look at your circumstances and you're tempted to be overwhelmed by the cross that you're now bearing, that test, remember this. Remember this. Jesus went to the place called the skull. And he carried a cross beam on his back as far as he could, but it overwhelmed him. He then was nailed to that cross, and he was dropped into the ground. And then the weight of the world's sin overwhelmed him. And the weight of the Heavenly Father's perfect wrath overwhelmed him. It overwhelmed him so much that his heart stopped beating. He cried, it is finished, and he died. He died. And there his body was laid in the tomb. In God's great power, 
God's great, overwhelming power and presence overwhelmed death. And the Lord Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, conquering our great enemy. And one day, the weight of that glory is going to return. And when it does, every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you're in the midst of the test, you may wonder, what is going on? But remember this, in the midst of the test, the Lord always knows what he will do. Did you hear him say that? Verse 6, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. My friends, no matter what you're going through, the Lord knows what he is doing. He knows what he will do. And not only that, he has the power to do it. Never in the history of the world did it look like God did not know what he was doing when his son was crucified on the cross. But he knew what he would do. Meditate on this and let it by faith over Overwhelm you. Father in heaven, we listen intensely this morning because we experience the reality of this broken world. But Lord, you teach us that you are greater. God, only you can overwhelm us in the right way with your power and your presence. Draw near to us even now with that reality. We pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.